0: And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and
1: welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Andrew Lamont. Welcome to the studio, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Good to be here. Now, you've uh, been working in uh, lots of different areas over the years, uh, working in Christian radio, working in as a, a business coach, working in uh, teaching people about financial stewardship. I'm curious to unpack that, but let's go back to the beginning. Tell us a bit of your story. Where were you born and raised?
0: I was born at a very early age. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> my great-grandparents were missionaries to Sri Lanka. Mm. So I was born in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and it's taken me years to stop wobbling my head when I talk. <laughs> It's a
1: good accent. I like that. Well, it's not an
0: accent. It's how I usually normally used to talk. This is the accent part that I'm speaking now. (laughs) (laughs) No, so born in Sri Lanka, and um, when I was uh, eight years old, my dad led me to the Lord. And then uh, he died three months later. It was quite a a dramatic time for Mm -hmm. me as a young fellow. And then we immigrated to Australia. Uh, in 1969, it was a long time ago, it well before you were born, mate. <laughs> uh, and we had 300 bucks between uh, my mum, my sister and myself. Uh, enough money for my mum to find a, a one-bedroom home in St Kilda in Melbourne. Uh, my sister got married and, and left, and I spent the next two years uh, as a street kid. Really? Yeah, it was uh, a different world back then. These days you have all the churches wanting to feed you food and provide you clothes and everything else. Back then your best friend was your rubbish bin. And uh, it was tough, you know, it was really tough. And I think for me, uh, a big question about where is God in all this? Because I had this sort of um, entitlement attitude where I would say to God, well, you know, my great-grandparents gave up all the luxuries of their life to go to some place called Sri Lanka, and don't you say that you look after the kids to the you know umpteenth generation. Well, hello, here I am. Where are you? Mm. And total silence, you know. and And I think... What's interesting with God is that often you don't know where He is or what He's doing till you look back on your life. And, um, you know, He completely protected me in those two years I was there. I was a 13 year old, Mm. totally vulnerable. Never got involved in drugs, prostitutes, uh, any of those kind of things. And yet, what happened was that God gave me a real heart for those people. Uh, Because you think, uh, because to to having come through that, you get an understanding of the emotions. You know, I think, I always think about how, uh, for example, when my marriage fell apart, lots of people gave me great books to read about good marriages. (laughs) What I actually wanted was someone to say, well, do you feel like this, mate? Mm. And you're probably going to feel like this tomorrow, but it's okay. Because at the end of the day, God will bring you through this. So street kid um, and then miraculous way off the streets. I was, um, it was an interesting time on the streets because you actually become quite creative and quite, uh, your antennas are up all the time. And so I decided, because I'm very competitive, I decided that if I was going to be a street kid, I was going to be the best street kid that ever lived. <laughs> so I figured there are two things that are really important when you're on the streets. One is how to get food and how to get it legally. And the other is where to sleep. Well, where to sleep is not as important because you walk a lot and then wherever you end up, that's your bed for the night. But getting food becomes a creative game. And so I decided that if I'm going to survive on the streets, I needed to make friends with an undertaker. Now, you look at me and laugh and you say, why an undertaker? Well, um, you see, I made friends with an undertaker. He took pity on me gave me a clean shirt and a pair of slacks and I went to literally hundreds of funerals. I was sad and I cried at times. You see, because when you go to a funeral, there's Johnny in the box and there's a lot of people at funerals that you don't know. Mm. And you think, oh, Johnny must have had a, a wide influence on people because there's a lot of people here that I don't know. So, Well, I was one of those people that you didn't know because at the end of a funeral, there is food for Africa. Oh. And you could stick as much food as you can in the Really province. Absolutely, mate. So I survived for two years on the streets of St Kilda by going to funerals. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And another thing, I had the best shoes of any kid on the streets. You know why? Because in Melbourne, in St Kilda in 1969, they had one of the largest mosques. You see, everyone leaves their shoes out the front. And you go didn't. out and grab the shoes? Any size you want, any color, any shape, you know. And wow. I have repented since then. <laughs> I buy my own shoes now. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: wow. So were you in danger at all? Do you think when you're on the street yeah, the it
0: was it was a very dangerous place, but you become street smart. Mm. Right? So you you're very observant of people. I and mean, that's a skill I have even to this day. Mm. And I think that was one of the places where God was forming so many things that was going to happen in my life life later on. Yes, you are. You amazingly the street people have their own way of communicating. Mm. I mean back then there was no cell phones or anything like that. And they're very aware of their circumstances, what's going on around them, what's happening, mm. what to look out for, and they they watch out for each other. It's a real community of people who mm. in many ways demonstrate the love of God, you know, the way they, they operate. It's
1: fascinating. I You know, I work with soup kitchens and uh, pick up people in, in a bus from homeless shelters, and uh, you see a lot of camaraderie mm-hmm. between uh, the homeless people. Yes. Sometimes... Mm-hmm. They get on better than people in church get oh, on with each other. Absolutely. Because that's all they got. You know? Correct.
0: I mean, I can share a great story. I was working with this guy under the Grafton Street Bridge in New Zealand where I've been living the last 16 years. And I remember it was about 2 o'clock in the morning and I said to him, Harry, are you hungry, mate? And he said, oh, always hungry. He said, look, there's a rotisserie chicken place just up the road. Why don't we go for a walk? So he we went for a walk, bought him this rotisserie chicken, a couple of pucks. And he scoffed it down. You know, I reckon he ate the bones and everything. It was just gone within a matter of seconds. Then he said to me, oh, can I have another one? And I sort of looked at him and thought, you know, you cheeky fellow. Like I just bought you one. Okay, maybe you're hungry. So I bought him another one. And he's nervously looking around and he stuffed this chicken in his jacket um, and we're walking back to the bridge. But he's looking around all the time. He's kind of nervous. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that's pretty smart. He's eaten one and he's taking one. Anyway, we get to this garbage bin. And he and he stops at the garbage bin and he's looking all around, reaches into the garbage bin, moves all the rubbish to one side, gets the chicken out of his jacket, puts it in the garbage bin and covers it up. And I said to him, "Mate, what, what are you doing? That's that's crazy." He says, "No, no, my mate Pete, he'll be coming past here about four o'clock in the morning and he'll oh, be hungry." Wow, generous! You know, absolutely. He's uh, a guy who's got nothing. Yeah. But his first thought after he was satisfied is, "My mate Pete." Mm. You know. Man, we can learn. Because I reckon if Jesus was around today, that's what—that's the sort of places he'd be. Yep. So let's get back to your story. So you spent a couple of years on the streets. What happened yeah. after that? found an old rugby ball in the gutter, and I got, went to the petrol station and pumped it up. And I was having a kick at this because one of the biggest challenges with being on the streets is boredom. You know, it's Groundhog Day every day, mm. and there's no hope to get off the streets. So kicking this thing, and a guy befriended me uh, in the park, and he said to me, oh, yeah, you kicked the football pretty well you want to come to the Powerhouse Rugby Club? uh, they got hot showers and I'm sure I can find you a meal. And like hot showers and a meal to a homeless person is like heaven. So I I quickly uh, joined up for that. And then he encouraged me to just start training with the boys. Now, I came from Sri Lanka, which is a rugby mad nation, and I must have had some natural skills. Long story short, I ended up playing uh, rugby union for Victoria. Wow. And won a sports scholarship to go to school. Mm -hmm. So that got me into Melbourne High School uh, where I did my, my studies and uh, eventually came out at, at the end got into the banking industry.
1: Incredible. You really worked your way up.
0: For, well, from- it was it's always a God thing because yeah. it was nothing that I could do. It was the stuff that was happening to me that was out of my control. Mm. But this very definite plan of God to take me to places that stuff was going to happen later on.
1: And tell us how you got involved in ministry.
0: Okay, so uh, to me, always life has been business and ministry together. Uh, there's not a separation for me about this is what I do on a Sunday and this is what I do on a Monday. It's about being a disciple of Jesus all the time. Um, but I got into um, the, 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 the kind of the banking world, uh, again, almost by accident. and started at the bottom, just worked my way up. Uh, and then in 1993, uh, three, I think it was, my big break came when a guy called Brian White, who is the chairman of Ray White Real Estate here in New Zealand, came knocking on my door. It was back in the days when the government offered 150% tax deduction if you could show that what you were doing was uh, research and development. Mm-hmm. So he came and met with myself and my wife, and he wrote out a check for $20,000 and put it on our dining room table. And he said, if you come to Queensland and start up this business with me, um, you can cash that check and keep it. And if you don't, you have to give it back. Well, it took me about 31 seconds to (laughs) realise that I need to cash this cheque. I think about 30 seconds for my wife and about one second for me. (laughs) So we we came up to Queensland and we started Ray White Financial Services. And within five years, that was turning over $270 a month. That's pretty good. And I was a 25% shareholder. Wow. And I had gone from having absolutely nothing on the streets of St Kilda to suddenly being able to fly to London for a stake. It was just two completely opposite worlds that God had taken into me into, and and the crazy part, mate, is that there are actually benefits in both. You know, when you're at the top end, uh, God gives you all these resources, and it's almost like the fun time. You know, because you're suddenly in a position to bless so many people, and people don't realize how much joy comes from actually giving stuff away. Mm. You know, and blessing people with the resources that God has given you. Um, so that was that, and then uh, Harcourts, the real estate chain from New Zealand, came to Australia. They wanted to emulate what uh, Ray White's had done here, so I got to head under to start uh, that particular organisation. And then after two years there, having an absolute ball and travelling all around the world, my marriage fell apart. And at that stage, I was a worship pastor at a Baptist church here in uh, Queensland. Um, and it was a disaster for me because uh, it was one of those things where – Ironically and I don't know whether you understand this or not but if you if you walk into a church and say, "My marriage has just fallen apart you know the, mostly they'll embrace you, put you in a home group, pr- provide you with some food parcels and make sure you get back on your feet except if you're in leadership mm. and uh, when that happens you may as well hold up a leprosy sh- sign because mm. they want you to leave no matter what happened and whose fault it was or whatever because the reality is only your wife and you know what actually happened mm. you know? mm. So I, I spent about four years in darkness. Mm. I never lost my faith, still loved God, but hated his bride mm. uh, and uh, decided I was never going to go back to church again and all those kind of stuff. And then an opportunity came within work where my board came to me and said, look, we bought this company in New Zealand and it's a dog. Uh, it's in a joint venture with AXA, but we'd like you to go to New Zealand just for six months, live there work in the business, come back and give us a report as to what to do with this thing. So I went to New Zealand, 1st of July, 2000, and it rained for the next 46 days straight. (laughs) 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 And I hated it because I'd come from living on the Gold Coast to going (laughs) to Auckland. Anyway, came back, gave them the report, said, look, this is not going to work, sell it, burn it, whatever. Uh, It's just been structured wrong. So then they said to me, look, would you go to New Zealand and run it for us? And I said, look, I'm not going. You know, I live on the Gold Coast. I'm not going to Auckland. So then they started throwing more money at me. And I said, look, it's not the money I'm not going. They said, come on, everyone's got their their point. Why aren't you going? And I said, primarily it's my kids. I've got two boys, 6 and 11 at that time. I'm not leaving them. So then they said to me, if you go for two years, we'll fly your kids to be with you every month for those two years. And if they can't come to you, We'll fly you to be with them. Wow! Yeah. So when I spoke to my kids and they're like, "Oh, Dad, this would be awesome. Imagine we could go skiing in New Zealand." And imagine on Monday when the teacher says, "What did you do on the weekend, kids?" <laughs> we went to New Zealand, yeah. doesn't everyone? <laughs> so I went for two years uh, and did that and, and formed an amazing relationship with my kids, and then turned that company around to a turnover of sixty-five million a month. So God, you know, he is a street kid who my highest market in maths for HSC was 26%. Mm. Mm. Was suddenly building and running these uh, multi-million dollar organizations uh, without any kind of practical business knowledge. Just a, a kind of a, a gut feeling and a sort of an anointing. I don't mean to use mm. that word loosely, but God had made me uh, uh, to be a businessman and mm. understand the principles of business. Uh, so went on uh, with that for a number of, for 14 years. So I had one and a half million air points by yeah. the time I f- <laughs> finished okay. with yeah. Harcourts, and then I joined an organisation called Baptist Savings, which is basically like Baplink here. So they they take money from the public and use that money to build churches and childcare well, okay. centres and whatever else. So I was on the board for two years and I got bored, literally bored, stiff, because I'm a hands-on person. And mm-hmm. so I said to the board, look, I noticed that you've raised $50 million in 50 years. That's fantastic. But as a cheeky young fellow here, I reckon I could double that in five years if you gave me the opportunity. So a very conservative board. They looked at me as if I was, you know, on drugs or something like that. But eventually they said, okay, well, go and do it. So I started up as the business and marketing manager for Baptist Savings. Um, and in those five years, I raised $75 million. Wow.
1: You got a gift, eh? Hey?
0: Well, yeah. Again, <laughs> it's not anything that I did, but it's often working through people. Yeah. You know, my my whole life has been this connection with people and, and understanding their gifts and releasing them to do what they do and gathering and all, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But but an amazing thing happened, and I think part of what happened there was in preparation for what was coming in Australia, mm. Um, the pastors in, Baptist pastors in NZ kept to me, kept saying to me, look, we're all struggling. You know, we love what we do. We feel there's a calling to to what we're doing. We just can't make it work financially. So I sat down with many of them and showed them how to pay off their credit card, you know, how to have a mortgage, all of those kind of things. And then they said to me, well, you need to teach this to our churches. So I ended up doing about 400 seminars uh, over the five-year period, over 4,000 people, uh, over 12,000 people came to those seminars and lives would change. You know, marriages would change because mm. once you take the pressure out of the finances in a family, man, things start to happen, you know. And so we saw this great um, blessing on the churches. And then we said, well, look, it's not that the churches that are in, in trouble, so are the, the, the neighbors mm. in the streets, and the schools, and the business and whatever else. So why don't we try and make these seminars as an outreach event? So we started inviting the neighbors, and we saw people come to the Lord in droves because we'd often have an alpha program or something running after the seminar. Mm. And because everything we did was free, people who were using our services would say to us, why are you doing this? Mm. Because there's no catches, there's no steak knives, none of that. And we would say to them genuinely, look, we're we're disciples of Jesus, and he tells us to love our neighbor. Uh, You happen to be our neighbor. We've got some skills that you don't. This is what we're doing. Would you like to meet him? (laughs) <laughs> they'd sort of look at you, with, you know, as if you've been on the communion one again. But the fact is that <laughs> then we could lead them to an Alpha program or whatever else. And so we saw church growth in denominations that had been stagnant for years and years, where this, it, it, where money was actually used as a recruitment recruitment tool to bring people into the kingdom of God. Because it was really easy to talk to someone about those mongrel banks or you know, credit card debt or, man, I'm really struggling to send my kid to the excursion on Friday because my wife bought the new handbag and shopping. You know, all of those real issues that everybody faces, not just because you're a Christian, it's because you're alive on this planet, but where's, who has the keys to mm. those things? And, and more importantly, who do you trust? Because I think even in, in Australia, if you went and Googled financial advisors, I think there's 11,000 of them. So there's no shortage, but the question becomes: Who do you trust? Mm-hmm. You know, and who will tell you the truth? And so, because we were working with this through the churches, the churches became started to become those trusted places again. You know, where people could come and get truth mm-hmm. about their money and their finances. And so, then I, I came back to Australia a year ago uh, to work in a business or a ministry called Compass. Mm-hmm. Compass is in. Uh, a number of countries around the world, and they do exactly the same thing. So they teach people how to get out of debt through schools and churches and businesses and such like. Uh, so I've been operating in that uh, environment, and that's where my heart is. So the homeless uh, teaching people how to get out of debt is seems to be the, the th- kind of tools that God has given me through the circumstances of life that I've learned, not at universities, never got a degree, don't have a book to sell or a CD but real-life gifts that God has given.
1: And now the Lord's opening the doors for you,
0: uh, working
1: in Christian radio and doing other bits of ministry around the place. Hey, it is so good to see how the Lord has raised you up uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I just think we need to celebrate what God's done in your story. And uh, let's hope many other lives are impacted through your story today. Thanks for your time. Andrew, God bless. Bless you, Matt. Thanks, Matt.